Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And we're going to look at two particular verses of Scripture uh, to start. These are going to be our primary verses, and then we're going to have secondary verses as supplemental uh, sources and, and um, to add more and more. And I'll just tell you, there is um, a lot that we're going to cover today, and we may not get it all in one, one setting. Um, I told Michaela prior to, this, prior to church today, I said, man, this is heavy. And, you know, Michaela doesn't really care all that much what I say very often. And she just looked at me. I said, no, this is heavy. And I was, she just looked at me. And I said, you need to ask me how heavy this is. You know, and she asked, how heavy is it? I said, this is like first of the year initial weigh-in at the weight loss competition heavy. You know, we've got a lot to, to break down and a lot to discuss. And uh, we might not get it all done today, but we're going to start. So if I were to ask you a question to begin... What is it that Jesus preached when he was on earth? I mean, really, what was at the heart of what Jesus preached while he was here? Now, I'm not going to ask you to answer that necessarily right now. I want you to just ponder that thought in your head. Um, and the goal here is we began last week a very spontaneous type sermon series to kick off the new year. Um, our goal this year, our resolution, number one resolution, above losing the weight, above you know saving the money, above paying off the debt, above uh, opening the business, above all things, our number one New Year's resolution should be, um, and if it's not, I'm not condemning you because um, you know I never wrote it down necessarily. Uh, I never really thought it through as well, but our number one resolution should be this year we want to and we desire to be more like Christ. And that should be above all things. That should be above the money. That should be above the debt. That should be above the weight. That should be above the relationship. That should be above the business. And what I want to do, though, starting last week, is I want to really get the real true version of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Because if not, if we're not careful, we, and a very dangerous thing is we can get this culture, society influence Jesus of he came to just tell us to love everybody, be good neighbors, try hard, and, and just you know accept everybody how they are and just move along and don't cause any disruptions and just kind of keep peace with the world and everything will be happy and everything will be great. Um, but whenever we truly get to the heart of Jesus and who he was, we see something very different at times. And that's what I want us to do. In order to be more and more like Jesus, we need to know the true Jesus that we read about in the Scriptures and not that society tells us He was. So here's what I want you to do. If somebody tells you something about Jesus, you better go and read it for yourself to confirm that that is really who Jesus was or what He said. There's a whole lot of things that Jesus has said based off the words of other people that I've never found in the Scripture. And this is where we grow. You know, we want to grow in our faith, and faith come by hearing, and by hearing the word of what? The Lord, the word of God. So here we are. We're going to go to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 is where we're going to start. And this is what we read. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. It sounds very simple. It sounds very simple what Jesus said. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now we have to understand really what is going on. And what, here's what we will find. At the heart of Jesus' preaching was truly the heart of man. 
Whenever you go into Mark chapter seven, we're gonna get there in just a moment. But in Mark chapter seven, Jesus really goes into detail what it is that corrupts and causes man to become defiled or causes man or woman to sin. And he actually states that it is coming all from within our heart. All the words that we speak come from our heart. All the deeds that we do begins in the heart. So Jesus at the heart of his ministry is truly at the heart of man because you and I, if we are not careful, we will live with very sin-polluted, corrupted, selfish hearts, seeing no need to repent and believe in Jesus who came to die for us. So here's what I want to do. Um, If you were to define the gospel, what would it be? I mean, if you were to truly, if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? What would you say it is? I'm going to shut up for just a moment and give you a second. Just kind of ponder that thought. What is the gospel? You can write it down if you have note-taking gear. You can think about it in your head if you don't. But what is the gospel? So one thing that um, I like to do with my girls and my two oldest are for sure aware of and uh, my three who may not be fully aware, she may, she may hear it, she may, she may not be able to answer it, but uh, one thing I like to ask them is what was the importance of Jesus' birth? What was so important what was so significant about Jesus coming to earth? And my two oldest girls who are seven and five, about to be in the next few weeks or to a month, eight and six, will say to die on the cross for our sin. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to think about the words of Jesus in John chapter three, verse 16. Everybody ought to know that by heart. We shouldn't have to. And, and even if you don't know it yet, I promise you, you stay in church just a little while, you will know John three sixteen by heart. So God so loved the world that he gave or that he sent his only what? Son. So whoever believes in him should not what? Perish or die, but have eternal life. So when we, when we look at the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, when we consider the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, when we, when we consider the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 or Romans chapter 6, we know in chapter 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in whom? Christ Jesus, our Lord. So whenever we consider all of this, whenever we consider what the gospel really is, we could define the gospel as Jesus dying on the cross for sinners, right? I mean, that is how we could define it. And here's what I I would want to kind of entertain a thought with you that may, that definition, that understanding may be a little shallow, It may not allow you to go into the depths of God's understanding and God's nature. And it may actually keep you at a very surface level in your faith if you say, the gospel is the good news of Jesus coming and dying for me. Which, that's good news. And and, and the cross behind me, the cross is a very powerful image. But let us take it a little bit further if we can. Let us really understand what happened on that cross. It was so much more than just Jesus being killed. I mean, there was just so much more than Jesus just breathing his last breath. Let us consider the wages of sin is death. Those who believe in Jesus should not what? Die. They should not perish, but have eternal life. 
And then whenever you look at the cross and whenever you read the words of Jesus, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which translates into and recorded, I believe in Psalm 22, but I can't remember off the top of my head and I apologize, but it's in the Psalms. Jesus is reciting a Psalm and which translates into, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When John the Baptist saw Jesus for the very first time, he said, behold, stop doing what you're doing and just look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. So let us go back to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel is much more than a death on a cross. The gospel is truly the time in which Jesus hanging on a cross while dying experiences the fullness of God's wrath. Because it is upon the cross of Christ where Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the very first time in all of existence, all of time. I mean, from the beginning to the end, it is the only time in recorded history, recorded you know, through the scriptures, any other historical evidence that Jesus the Son was separated or forsaken by God the Father. We know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So Jesus, the Son, God the Father, and the Spirit were all together, and they've always been in relation. They've always been, you know, they are, yes, individually, but they're also the same. They are individually in the, sometimes the way that they act, but they are all in one unit. You, they are all unified in one purpose to glorify the name of the Lord. This is the very first time where Jesus, the Son, is separated or abandoned by God the Father. So here's what we have to understand. We have to understand that we can't define the gospel as just Jesus dying on a cross. We have to define the gospel as Jesus fully enduring the wrath of God that you and I were once destined to endure the full sentencing of our sin that Jesus took it upon himself. So when Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, when Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel, he is saying to believe in the gospel. And the gospel is truly defined by not just Jesus dying. We're not just celebrating that he died. We're celebrating that on that cross where all of my sins were nailed to, he endured the entire punishment of all of it. Therefore, I am not bound to the punishment or the wages that I should have been bound to. So we are truly celebrating that the gospel is much more than just Jesus breathing his last breath and buried in a tomb. We're, we are celebrating and we rejoice because upon that cross, as Jesus cried out, every bit of God's wrath was poured upon him. The wrath that you deserve, the wrath that I deserve, it was poured upon Jesus. Because the wages of sin is death. What is death? It's not just a merely earthly death because here's the promise. Even Christians, even followers of Jesus will breathe our last breath. All of us. The the evidence is true. The statistics state that there is a one in one chance that you and I will die. Even if we are a Christian, even if we are an unbeliever, we will all die. So is that the depths or is that the, the extent of our punishment to just breathe our last breath? No, no, no. It is to be eternally separated from our Father in heaven and we would be eternally separated and sentenced to a place we call hell. That would be the payment of our sin. That would be the wages that you and I should have carried. That would be the punishment that we should have been sentenced to and that would be the fullness of God's wrath. God's wrath would be fully satisfied by you and I being separated in hell from our Father for all of eternity. That was what you and I were deserving deserving of. 
But upon the cross is where Jesus took it upon himself, all of the wrath that you and I deserve. That is where Jesus on the cross, and that's why the gospel isn't just Jesus coming to die. And my girls aren't to the point in life, the spiritual maturity to believe or to really comprehend the fullness of God's wrath being poured out upon the cross. They are six, almost six and eight. They believe and their depths of the gospel is that Jesus came to die on the cross for their sin. He did. But John said, behold, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Not just to die in, on the cross. Jesus, literally, we can understand the gospel as Jesus as a propitiation who died in our place. You and I were fully deserving of the death that Jesus endured. Not just a physical death. This is an eternal separation that Jesus captivated in a few moments or hours hanging on a cross. That if you and I just continue to live in sin, if we continue to live our own way, we continue to just reject the gospel, if we continue to repeat our sin rather than repent, if we just continue to give in to the desires of our flesh, the lusts of our flesh, and walk by the ways of the world, you and I will be sentenced to and fully deserving of eternal separation in hell. But Jesus died in our place so that those of us who believe in the gospel would never, what, perish, but have eternal life. So the gospel isn't just defined by death. The gospel is defined by all the wrath of God being poured upon the cross of Christ and Jesus bearing it all upon himself and enduring the fullness of it. And then on the third day, he did what? He rose. So when Jesus says to repent and believe in the gospel, we have to fully understand that our punishment and our sentencing has already been taken care of. For those who repent and believe in the gospel, those who are saved, those who call themselves Christians, those who follow the Lord Jesus. Now, let me just read a couple of, I've read a couple of different commentaries because I wanted to see how other people put these two together. And then we're going to piece it all together in just a few minutes. So here's one commentary. I believe this may be from Matthew Henry. And he says, these words may be regarded as a summary of the method of salvation. Repentance and the faith are the conditions of admission into the Christian covenant. Repentance has a special reference to God the Father and faith to Jesus Christ, the eternal Son. It is in the gospel that Christ is revealed to us as a Savior. And therefore, we find Jesus Christ as the object of our faith, distinguished from the Father as the object of our repentance. Repentance of itself is not sufficient. It makes no satisfaction for the law which we have broken. And hence, over and above repentance, there is required from us faith in the gospel wherein Christ is revealed to us as a propitiation for sin and is the only way of reconciliation with the Father. Without faith, repentance becomes despair. And without repentance, faith becomes only presumption. Join the two together and the faithful soul is born onward like a well-balanced vessel to the haven where it would be. And in Gill's exposition, he writes this, Repent ye and believe in the gospel. He called them to repent not only of their former sins and course of life, but of their bad principles and tenets concerning a temporal kingdom of the Messiah, concerning merit and free will, justification by the works of the law, and salvation by their obedience to the ceremonies of it and to the traditions of the elders. These he exhorts them to change their sentiments about and to relinquish them and to give into the gospel scheme, 
which proclaims liberty from the law, peace, pardon, and righteousness by Christ, and salvation and eternal life by the free grace of God. So those are two commentary sources that I read this particular week, trying to piece together the repent and believe in the gospel. So whenever you and I come to this point of reading, the time is fulfilled, which refers to the timing in which God had ordained from the beginning of time when sin entered the world, he had began this work of sending a savior as he promised the serpent in the garden. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And the same is true today, that the kingdom of God is near, is at hand. And what he was referring to is that he was literally near them. He was near them. He was present with them. The kingdom of God was literally walking the earth as Jesus walked the earth. So how do we respond to Jesus being there for them? How do we respond to Jesus and his gospel? We repent and we believe in the gospel. We repent and we have faith in him. So whenever we come to put these two together, we understand that these are both rooted in our heart. So whenever we love the Lord, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my what? My commandments. And if we love, the com- if we love Jesus, we keep his commandments. If we want to know his commandments, well, we've got to open up his word. So here's what my prayer is. Um, during this process, what we call sanctification, we, we see that the word of God and the spirit of God come together and they cultivate inside of us a transformation from where we once were to where we become more and more like Christ over time. So this process, which is an ongoing effort, which is never ending, you and I who were once dead in our sins and our trespasses over the course of our walk on this earth will be transformed by the spirit of God and by the word of God. Not, nothing, not anything that you and I do on our own, because it is all empowered by the spirit. It is all cultivated by the spirit of God and the word of God. So if you and I truly want to be disciples of Jesus, we must do as he said. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, he said, if you want to know me, you want to be my disciple, you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. What is he saying? He is saying you must put to death your way of thinking. You must put to death the desires of your flesh. You must put to death the ways of this world. You must deny yourself and all that this world will propel you or compel you to live by and how you want to live. And you must follow me. You must think as I think. You must live as I live. You must attempt to be like me. Now, here's the problem. None of us will ever be like Jesus in perfection. None of us will. I won't, you won't. However, we live every single day digging into his word, empowered by his spirit to become more and more like him. So Jesus says very clearly, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. Repent and have faith in me who I am. Jesus said very clearly in John 3.16 that whoever would believe in him, this isn't just, yeah, I think it happened. No, 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 this is to lay your life down for him. Alistair Begg said, and I heard it, I think last week, those of us who have faith in Jesus, followed with and accompanied with baptism in his name, are then part of his body, and we walk in his name. We are empowered by his spirit, and each and every one of us then live the rest of our lives living in constant repentance or recognition of our wrongdoing. See, here's the problem, and this is why we might have a very shallow understanding of 
the gospel. David, man after God's own heart, did wrong. David, I mean, King David did wrong. Yet he wrote Psalm 51, which is one of the most powerful readings you will ever read, in which he pleads with the Lord to have mercy on him, to blot out his transgressions, to remove all of his iniquities. So we see a man who was got, after God's own heart did something very, very wrong. He had an affair with someone's wife, Uriah's wife. And after being confronted with it, we see a repentant heart. We see a man who pleads with the Lord from the depths of his heart to have mercy on his soul because he finally recognizes the offense in which he has brought upon the name of his Lord. And Psalm 119, if you have time today, I would encourage you to read Psalm 119 in its entirety because you read about a psalm that is recorded about obeying God's law and having an understanding of God's law and having a passion and, and, a, and a true desire to obey God's law in its fullness. Psalm 119 is very, in 19 verse 11, we see that the psalmist writes, I will store your word, I will store your law in my heart that I may not sin against it. There is a desire in the writing of the psalmist to really understand the, obey and the commandments of God, the word of God, the law of God, so that he may not sin against it. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Whenever we break this all down, we go to the root of what Jesus is preaching about. He is preaching about the heart of man. When we go to Mark chapter 7, we see that Jesus is, is asked about the defiling of people, and he said... Hear me, all of you, understand this. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And what he, when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about this parable, and he said, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes in a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters his heart, since it not enters his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? What comes out... What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So all that we do comes from within. And the psalmist writes, I want to store your law. I want to store your word in my heart so that I may not sin against it. So we see that Jesus came to really kind of not attack or, or reconsider our, our thinking patterns or our traditions or anything that they were doing in that day. He literally came for the hearts of man because it is the heart of men and women that truly guides them into living in sin. It's a heart of us that guides us into saying things that we shouldn't, doing things that we regret. So Jesus is coming to to and for the heart of people by challenging them to repent. To understand the word repent, we understand it to, to mean as we literally reconsider or change direction. So whenever we live in repentance, we will recognize our wrongdoing, we will recognize our sinfulness, and we will literally change direction. And the more and more that we repent of our sin, and I'm not saying that every single person is going to repent of the same sin, same sin every day or every week or every year, but the reconsidering of doing said sin, of reconsidering of doing said deed, the reconsideration of saying this or doing that or thinking that, what happens is the more and more the Word of God is cultivated 
in our heart. And the more and more the spirit of God begins to prompt, convict, and compel us that you and I will begin to repent. You and I will begin to recognize more and more sin. And what happens is we point, we redirect our lives. We reconsider from worldliness and sinfulness to godliness, to holiness, to righteousness. So let me just ask you a few questions before we really get into one word that is really at the root of all of this. The psalmist writes, he will store God's law in his heart so they may not sin against it. So let me ask you a few questions. Do you love God's word? Do you love God's word? Do we love God's command? Do we truly love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? If not, we may just love what God can do for us. We may just love the pay raise. We may just love the new job. We may just love the new house. We may just love the bigger and faster car. We may just love the more money. If we aren't careful, we will love the blessings rather than the blessor, our Father in heaven. And if that is the case, we will never love God as God, and we will never come to love his word or to love his commandments. When we never love his commandments, we'll never see a real need for a transformation of our heart. And where there is no need for a transformation in heart, we will just continue to live with a defiled and corrupted heart, never seeing a need to repent of our sin, because we'll have a poor understanding of what sin is and of the gospel. And sin is our shortcoming of the standard of God, his perfection, his holiness, and his righteousness. And this is what I want us to, to really end with. If I were to tell you to repent, what are you going to repent of? I mean, what would you repent of? If you remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches a sermon and the hearts of people are pierced. And they ask, what shall we do next? And he says, repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. What do you repent of? We repent of sin. We repent of wrongdoing. We repent of our shortcoming of God's standard. And every time we fall short of God's standard, it is called one word. We know it in the English vocabulary as sin. Whether it be very small and almost unnoticeable or, you know, one that we don't really take much notice of, or there are very big sins in our way, in our day, and, and, and measured by our ways of living. And, and here's what's happened, I think, over time. We talked about it just a little bit ago. If we aren't careful, we will have a very shallow understanding of the gospel of thinking, oh yeah, Jesus just came to die. No, no, no. Jesus came to endure the fullness of God's wrath so you and I would not have to. And if we have a very shallow understanding of the gospel, we'll have a very shallow understanding of sin and the need to repent of it. Sin is what will send many people to the place that God had originally prepared for the devil and all of his fallen angels. Hell will not just be occupied by the devil and his fallen angels. It will be occupied by very, very, very many good people. It will be occupied by very, very many bad people. But it will be occupied by people that just continue to live in sin and saw no need to repent and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to forgive them and to save them and to redeem their soul. So you and I, if we are not careful, we will have a very shallow understanding of sin. And here's the thing. We live in a society, we live in a day and age to where sin is almost like a foreign language. Because we want to water it down and say, well, it's just a struggle. 
You know, no, no, it's a sin. If you're living in adultery, it's not just a temptation that you just can't over. No, 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 it is a sin that killed Jesus on a cross. If it's living in drunkenness and, or if it's living in pride, if it's living in greed, if it's living in whatever the sin may be, instead of watering it down and taking no true recognition of what it is. See, here is what should happen. Based off the words that we read throughout the scripture, it should break our hearts when we sin against God. And we should be shaken to our very core whenever we do things that offend him. It's almost as if, If we never repent of our sin, we never take full recognition and accountability of our wrongdoing and of our shortcoming. It's almost as if every time that we fall short and just continue to repeat, continue to repeat, it's almost as if what Jesus did was in vain. I mean, it's almost like he's looking down and thinking, man, not that he ever would regret what he has done, not that he would ever tell someone, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that for you. But every time that we continue to live in sin and see no need to repent of it and see no need to redirect our lives or reconsider the way we are doing things, it's almost as if we offend him in such a way that all that he did was in vain. So I just want to ask you, where is your heart? Where is your heart? today? Is your heart just continuously asking the Lord for more and more and bigger and more and what the Lord can do for me? Or is your heart truly serving and loving the Lord with all of yourself? Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent of your sin. Reconsider the way you're doing things because there is now a new way. There is now a new way. If you remember John 14, 6, Jesus said, for I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So I guess the biggest question for all of us today is, do we see a true need to repent of our sin? Do we truly feel the weight of our wrongdoing? And here is what will happen. The, the more and more you grow in your faith, the more and more you walk with the Lord and the Spirit of God who lives in you, convicts you and, and prompts you. I'm telling you, the more and more broken you will feel every time that you sin against the Lord. Not that you should feel completely worthless and well, God hates me now. No, no, no. It should, have, it should break your heart that you have offended him. It should break our heart that we have sinned against him. And we must recognize our wrongdoing. We must recognize our flaws. We must recognize our shortcomings or just our struggles as sin. Sin that Jesus came to die for. Sin that Jesus had to endure the fullness of God's wrath being poured out upon him in our place. Literally, the, the words of the Apostle Paul, for it was in that moment in time which Jesus is being poured upon, the fullness of God's wrath is being poured upon him. It's in that very moment that he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in him. It was that very moment in time. Who knew no sin? He who had committed no sin, he who had done no wrongdoing in the sight of God, took it upon himself to endure the fullness of God's wrath and punishment for our sin so that you and I could be made right in his sight. And here's what will happen. Paul said to be transformed by the renewal of 
your mind. It's an ongoing effort that you and I are to be transformed in the likeness of Christ. It doesn't happen overnight to where you, you wake up tomorrow and you're perfect and you never struggle. But I'm telling you, the more and more you walk with the Lord, the more and more recognizable your sin will become and the more and more repentant your heart will be because you will desire the way of the Lord and the word of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord. And every time you sin against it, it will break us to our core to where we are reminded of all that Jesus has done. Jesus came not just to die for you, but to take upon himself the fullness of God's punishment so you and I could be free. That's the good news, that you and I could be free of that payment, free of that wage, free of that debt to be paid, that you and I could literally walk into heaven with no money being paid out of our pocket, but but, but all being paid by him. We can walk into heaven one day as free people, not because of anything that we have done, but because of all that Jesus has done. And what we should do as we live on this earth and as we walk closer and closer with the Lord and more and more time that passes by, you and I should become more and more aware of and it should actually break us more and more of every wrongdoing that we have because the Word of God, the Spirit of God will cultivate within us a repentant heart and a sanctified person where you and I are becoming more and more like Jesus. So here's the problem. If you and I see no need to repent and change our ways, then we may miss out on Jesus. If you and I see no need to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus taking upon himself the fullness of God's wrath, well, guess what, brother or sister? You will pay the wages of your sin. You will be sentenced to the eternal punishment that Jesus bore for those who would follow him. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe The gospel, the gospel of Jesus is that he came for our salvation. He came to transform our hearts. He came so that you and I over time would give him more and more glory in the way that we love, the way that we live, the way that we do. And that our hearts will be radically transformed by his amazing grace and his everlasting spirit. So you and I would be more and more like him. So I want to end it with one one thing. As Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. He's talking to a group of people that were prepared for a earth prepared for an earthly Messiah. But he was the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the mighty God. Wonderful counselor came. And he said, "Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel." Jesus came to die and to endure the wrath and to free sinners like me, sinners like you. And guess what? Here's the good news. It's even better. If you're here today and you have been set free for Jesus said, whom the son sets free is what? Free indeed, free indeed. You can walk this life and be free. You can be free, meaning there are no more chains holding you captive. There are no more uh, names that the world should identify you as, but you are free and you can be free indeed in him. And we walk in this freedom that he brings by constantly repenting and constantly believing and constantly growing in 
him, walking in him. As Alistair said, those who believe, those who have faith in Christ, for by grace through faith we are, be, we are to be saved. Alistair Bagg said, those who have faith in Christ accompanied with baptism in his name are part of what we call the church. And if you were to look around, just look around before I pray. There are a lot of sinful people in nature or in their old life. Did you know that those people that sit in front of you at one time were dead in their sins and their trespasses? The people that sit behind you are at one time dead in their sins and trespasses, just like you. But they have been made whole. They have been born again and can be set free in the gospel. Let's pray.